Hey, Heat Nation! Welcome back to Heaters Gonna Heat, part of the OTG Podcast Network. I'm your host, Kyle Russell, here to bring you the latest on our favorite NBA team, the Miami Heat. A few games into the second half of their season, the Heat are continue to get bodies back and continue to rack up wins as they push towards uh, number one seed in the East Conference. Definitely well within reach, as we'll get to later on. Uh, was not a perfect week for Miami, unfortunately. There was a loss to the 76ers. Um, but they still got two wins, so still positive week 2-1. And we'll start off the game recaps first with Miami getting back from their uh, six-game road trip and starting a four-game homestand first um, against the Hawks, which they played just the Wednesday beforehand. And kind of like the, that Wednesday, this was also a heat win, although much closer than the absolute walloping that we gave the Hawks at their arena uh, Wednesday. This one, the Hawks came in. Definitely looked like they were to try to play for some pride, but still fell to the Miami Heat 124 to 118, which puts the Heat up 2 0 in a best of four series against the Hawks. Although, to be honest, <laughs> that, that season series might not mean anything given the, the trajectories of, the, of those teams. But to dive into the game first, uh, this was the return of Jimmy Butler, who we last saw. Um, it was against the, yeah, against the Warriors midway through the third quarter. Butler went down with what looked like a non-contact ankle injury. He had to be, like, literally uh, helped off the court. He was putting no weight on it. Everything felt kind of doom and gloom in that moment. But we got great news the next day that it, it seemed to be just some sort of, like, stinger-type injury where it was a lot of pain in the moment, but no real, like, long-term damage. He did sit out a few games to finish up the rest of that road trip, which is a good precaution. And none of those games were really necessary except for the Hawks one at the end, and even that one was vaguely necessary. So didn't have to rush him. He came back when he was ready, and he was ready last Friday night, and came back right to form as well. To go over the game real quick, though, this was a game where Miami started out extremely strong. They got a they had a forty to thirty lead after the first quarter, which forty points in a quarter is just ridiculous offense. And the primary reason for that was Max Struess, who scored all sixteen of his points in the first quarter. The dude was just a walking flamethrower out there, really making a case why he might need like an expanded role either off the bench or possibly fighting Duncan for that starting spot. At least for that first quarter, he made a really good case there. Uh, as I kind of alluded to just now though I said he scored his only 16 points in this quarter which is still a good game score uh, overall for like 16 points for Max Struess is still good to have but just going to show that he he didn't well he wasn't able to contribute much points wise uh, after the first quarter and it would have been useful because the Hawks completely flipped the script on Miami in the second quarter ended up going into a halftime lead for the Hawks so deficit for Miami uh, Hawks up 70 to 64 so they outscored Miami 40 to 24 so they we dropped 40 on them they dropped 40 on us except we just didn't score as well and that is where the the they ended up with the lead. Into the third quarter, the Hawks pretty much did like just enough to keep the Heat at bay. They still held the lead going into the fourth and was following a similar script. However, Miami just was able to continue to push back and they eventually tied it at 114 with a Kyle Lowry three. Uh, Hawks went and got a basket. Butler tied it at 116. Hawks got another basket. Actually, no, sorry, they got free throws at that point. And then Tucker shot some free throws as well to tie it at 118. And then the Heat would go on to score the next six from then on out, leading to the 124-118 win. And the probably, obviously, the, the biggest factor that went for Miami's favor was the return of Jimmy Butler. And he was just all over, all over the floor. 23 points, 3 rebounds, 10 assists. And Kyle Lowry still did play. 
so that kind of shows that he was taking on more of like a playmaking role, even with Lowry there. But 10 assists, one steal, two blocks, did that on good efficiency, 7 to 13 from the field, 9 of 9 from the free throw line. So Butler got right back to his bread and butter, get to the line, knock down free throws, mid-range, paint points, all that stuff. He had 12 paint points in total, which is part of how Miami dominated this battle in the paint specifically. They won that 46 points to to the Hawks, 28 points, in large part behind Butler getting 12 in the paint, and then Amir Yurtseven as well, continuing the start, continuing to play really well. 17 points, 11 rebounds, 4 assists on 7-9 from the field, 3-5 from the line, and had a, a key 10 points in the third to try to help keep Miami within distance so that way in the fourth they could go and finish that out. And alongside those two, Tyler Hero as well uh, did a good job kind of out-dueling Trey Young in my opinion. Hero, 24 points, 2 rebounds, 3 assists, uh, 7-16 from the field, 4-8 from 3, 6-6 six six from the line. So he's showing a better ability to get to the line, and obviously he's a good free-throw shooter. So once he's there, he, he kind of makes you pay for it. Uh, so... Glad to see that part as well. And then a key, for a hero, a key 11 points in the fourth quarter to help with that comeback for, for the Heat. Overall, this kind of felt like a, a little bit kind of like what you have where you have a home-and-home home in the playoffs where you go to the opponent's arena, you secure the win in a blowout fashion, you know, you got that next game two days later at your home arena. The opposite team's like, all right, what adjustments do we need to make? How can we take advantage? And can we try to, you know, with finger quotes around, like even the season series right now, one-to-one. And to the Hawks' credit, they came out with a much better game plan. Uh, maybe part of it was getting a, a fire lit up under their ass just because they started trading players the Thursday beforehand. Or maybe it was just like, you know, get get Cam Radish out of there, and now the rotation's more streamlined. Regardless of whichever interpretation you want to do, I, I do give some credit to the Hawks for coming out and playing Miami a lot tougher than they did that Wednesday night. However, still not good enough. Uh, Miami secures the win. They secure, you know, two, like I said, 2-0 lead on the Hawks, even though that season series might not matter. But always good, nonetheless, to just beat up on a divisional opponent and let them know, you know, who's the real top dog in the division. The last thing to mention here, though, with the return of Butler, we saw a massive drop in the number of three-pointers that Miami was taking. Part of that might have also been the Hawks trying to adjust and lower uh, Miami shooting because in that Wednesday game, Miami shot 16 of 45. It's good for 36%, but 45 three-point attempts uh, in that Wednesday game. While Friday, with the addition of Butler, Miami only got 30 attempts up instead. So you know, uh, one-third reduction in the number of three-point attempts that they were taking. Part of that is the Hawks. Part of that is also having Butler back in the style that he plays. But the good part for Miami, they still knocked down 14 of those 30. That's good for a really efficient 47%. So like like mentioned before, like, you can have those lower-volume days if you're having that hyper-efficiency to where you're still getting, you know, 14 to 16 three-pointers kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, volume down, it's more efficient. But that was kind of the, the last takeaway for that game. After that, the Heat had a back-to-back where they hosted the Philadelphia 76ers on Saturday. It was a game that, unfortunately, the Heat lost 98-109, to which means that for the season series with the, with the Sixers, this is a four-game season series where Miami took the first one in December during the, the injury-ravaged parts of the year. But uh, this was, yeah, so with the Sixers win here, that ties the season series 1-1. But if Miami can get at least one of the next two wins, 
uh, that's just massive just for making sure that they don't have to worry about it because the Sixers are a team that Miami could end up with in tiebreaker scenarios with. They've done a really good job of kind of marching up the stands, um, as we'll see later on. But for this game, Miami got out to a really good lead, 29-20. The Sixers had played the night before. They were hosting the Celtics the night before, so they were also on a back-to-back and had to travel over the night. Um, and it kind of showed in that first quarter. Miami got out to a 29-20 lead, because mainly because Joel Embiid was struggling a lot, dealing with um, Omir Yurtseven, who still started because Bam was not back yet. But Yurt dropped 10 points and was actually looking effective on both ends against Embiid, which was honestly surprising, but I didn't think it was something that could have lasted too long. But uh, moving on, it did get a little bit closer, but the Heat were still able to um, you know, have a 50-43 to lead at halftime. It was looking like the Yurt game because Yurt was, I think, like 13, 14 points by that point. Embiid just looked like a shell of himself, and the Sixers were getting primarily propped up by Tobias Harris pulling offense out of nowhere. So it was not looking good for the Sixers, looking great for the Heat. And then the third quarter is kind of where, unfortunately, Embiid started to wake up. Um, they, the Heat were able to push the lead as much as 13 in the third quarter. Then Embiid, that was when he came alive and scored, I think, like eight, nine points in, in a row, somewhere around there. He did eventually tie it, and the Sixers did take a 75-73 to lead at the end of the third. The fourth was an ugly game for the Heat. Just They, they couldn't get any shots really going, and then the Sixers, just Embiid was on a rampage. They just kind of slowly bled Miami dry. No real runs, no real anything, just like kind of just... Little by little, death by thousand cuts until what was a two-point lead to start um, the fourth quarter ballooned into an 11-point lead by the end of the game. Um, and a big part of that was Yoel Embiid, who came alive in the second half and finished that fourth quarter specifically with 13 points. So, yeah, rough loss and also a loss to somebody that you're competing with for playoff seeding. And on top of that, the discourse between Heat fans and Sixer fans because of the way that the teams are built, uh, process versus development kind of stuff. But really, it's that wasn't a terrible loss. Like the Heat were in the game, they had opportunities. Really, what what it, the big takeaways from this game, if you're a Heat fan, is just that you were in there despite having some horrific shooting. On your in the floor. So some good things for Miami. Yurt was extremely, Yurt's seven extremely dominant. Uh, still had the starting role just because um, Bam was still out at this point. But 22 points, 11 rebounds, 1 assist on 10 of 12 from the field, 2 of 3 from the free throw line. So he was productive. Definitely, you know, got to the boards, got a ton of points. He was Miami's leading scorer in the game, which also might, might tell you something right there. But the big problem for him was defending Joel Embiid, which on, on the one hand, it's like, no duh, Joel Embiid's one of the best players in the league, arguably one of the best uh, just scoring offensive centers in the league versus Yurt Seven, who, again, was did not have minutes until mid-December where he was forced to be given minutes. So, like, you, you and yeah, and also as a rookie. So, it's kind of hard to judge him too harshly on it, but it was just the reality of the situation that Embiid cooked him. So, Yurt specifically sat, like, one of the big things that happened in the second half was Yurt having to sit because of foul trouble. He finished the game with five fouls, of which he got all five on shooting fouls drawn by Embiid. So, on the one hand, Yurt did do a good job, like, first quarter, and mainly in the first half, but... 
whether he just kind of woke up or whether he found some adjustments. Embiid took advantage in the second half and either threw him on the bench because of foul trouble or just went through him regardless. And, again, it's a, it's a tough ask. Like, usually in an ideal situation, that's that's Bam's assignment to try to guard Embiid, not the rookie Yurt 7. But th- that was what had to happen here. The Sixers were able to take advantage of it and walked away with, with this win. And, really, that's what I said. Like, I don't see Yurt as the reason they lost this game. What I see is the reason that they lost this game. Uh, one part, not playing Gabe Vincent, which was really odd. Uh, he was just like completely out of the rotation. Miami, uh, yeah, Spolstra, Miami went nine deep there. Uh, I guess just couldn't find any minutes for Vincent. Again, I felt that was odd. I thought his defense, and especially some of his shooting, would have really helped Miami. But at the same time, you know, I I see the reasoning of that the Sixers are more of a bigger squad, and maybe Spolstra was worried these Sixers would use that size to their advantage. You know, maybe try to get Embiid switched on to uh, Vincent or something, just back him down, shoot over him kind of stuff. But that, uh, not having Gabe Vincent, and the other part was really just bad shooting. So, like, overall, it was horrid shooting from three. Miami went 9 of 35 from three-point range, which is good for 26%. Some of the big offenders there are usually their, are the ones that are their, are their usual sharpshooters. Duncan Robinson, 0 for 8. Struess, 2 of 9. Uh, Hero was was really quiet. I didn't, even, I didn't even bother recording anything for him. It was just kind of a meh game for him as well. But, yeah, when Miami's two best shooters in, like, Robinson and Struess aren't shooting well. That That's a reason why you want to try to get Vincent in there, who also has a good three-point shot and can also defend really well. But um, the biggest in terms, biggest culprits in terms of, like, bad shooting, Jimmy Butler, 1 of 11 from the field, and Kyle Lowry, 2 of 11 from the field. So there was a lot of bad shooting nights amongst four different players. And if you give Miami two of those that have, like, average or better shooting nights... This is probably still a win for Miami. So let's just say, like, the big takeaway, it it sucks, but this is also the kind of loss that just happens over the course of the season and is one where you just kind of look at it and just go, all right, on to the next. And that's exactly what we're going to do right now. The Heat hosted the Raptors on Monday. This is the game that the Heat won 104-99, to of which uh, that was the first game against the Raptors in a four-game season series. And that series might matter because the Raptors are looking about the middle of the East, like right around the play-in, maybe like the, to the 5-6 range if things break right over the course of the second half of the season. So that one might end up mattering, but at least for right now it doesn't. And Miami still got the win, so they have the lead in that season series. But to look into the game... This was one the Heat would be without Kyle Lowry. Uh, he listed out as due to personal reasons. I couldn't find any any indication of exactly what those reasons are. So to me, that, that seems to indicate that it is something like really personal, not our business kind of stuff. So you just remember like Kyle Lowry, still a human being. All these basketball players are. Um, and they, they have the right to, to situations like that where something weighing on them personally causes them to miss work. Like, we all go through that. But in um, in his place, Gabe Vincent actually started. So um, interesting kind of that in the Sixers game, Vincent couldn't get any minutes. Now he's going into the starting role in place of Larry. But that's kind of that next man up mentality Miami has anyway. The other big news for an even bigger news for that Raptors game is it was the return of Bam Adebayo. Finally, he's been out since the beginning of December with that surgery on his right thumb. 
he was able to keep up with his conditioning, uh, and, you know, run some drills. Just he couldn't really shoot too much because of the surgery on the hand. Point was, he kept himself ready, and it still showed in this game because the Raptors, Raptors came to play. This was a really, like, this gave off playoff vibes kind of game. It was really back and forth at 10 ties, 22 lead changes. I should tell you a lot about, you know, how close the score was through most of the game and how kind of back and forth it was as well. But through the recap real quick, Raptors got out to a 30-27 to lead, mainly behind their potential all-star Fred Van Vliet, who scored 11 points in the first. In the second quarters where we had a lot of the back and forth, ties, lead changes, things like that. And eventually in the end, Miami pulled out ahead 58-51, to thanks in large part to 10 points from Tyler Hero. He scored eight straight to start that quarter, which is really what kind of tied and started putting Miami like in that lead spot instead. Um, into the third, Raptors came out on an 8-0 run to take the lead, and then we got back to that back and forth there until the score got to about 75. And then Hero again stepped up. He scored the last five points um, after the score was tied at 75. He he'd scored like the bucket before that as well. I think it was like seven straight. But he scored the last five points of the quarter to give Miami an 80-75 to lead. And then the fourth quarter itself, he did just enough to just kind of keep the Raptors at at bay, down the stretch, gave Vincent playing some phenomenal defensive plays, some real heads-up kind of stuff, like knowing that you're not in a bonus situation in the last two minutes, so you foul the person on the floor instead of letting them get a shot up uh, on a fast break. Like, that, that, kind of, that kind of thing is like real heads-up to, to pull off. Um, helping him around down the stretch, P.J. Tucker hit a really great corner three, and then Adabot, which I thought was the dagger, and game was over there. Raptors still kept it going a little bit more. Bam Adebayo, how poetic that Bam on his first game back gets to come and do this. Uh, scored, shot two free throws to ice the game, nails in the coffin, done. Heat win! But, um, yeah, Bam Adebayo, the biggest story in his was his return. Not his most efficient offensive game, but that's understandable given just the nature of the injury that he had, that it was specifically to his shooting hand. But 14 points, 9 rebounds, 2 assists, 4 of 12 from the field, 6 of 7 from the free throw line. So got to the line again and able to shoot well in in that kind of setting. It was mainly stuff like, you know, the push shots or the mid-range shots just weren't quite as well there. But the other big positives, like like we mentioned, he was able to keep up his conditioning, and it showed because he was – all over on the defensive end. And then there was one specific uh, play on the fast break where it was an almost Giannis-like super long Euro step uh, into a basket. So just moving around, he looked great. Really the only concern is just whether or not he can can get that uh, efficient touch back around the rim. Also having a great game for the Heat, Tyler Hero. 23 points, 4 rebounds, 3 assists, and 2 steals. On an efficient 8 of 16 from the field, 1 of 3 from 3-point range, 6 of 6 from the line, and one really nasty dunk on a former Heat player, Preston Chua. And the, the interesting takeaways here, specifically for Hero, is how he did against the Raptors' defense. The Raptors, as a team, like, their philosophy is essentially... So, like, Cleveland, as a point of reference, since we've already played them twice this year... They are going like into really big lineups. You know, they do Mark uh, Markinen, Mobley, and Jared Allen to have like this super big front court uh, and wing positions. The Raptors are a little bit similar, except rather than targeting like 
the centers and bigs, they're trying to go for like six six to six eight wing. So like having their two, three, four and small ball five positions, just a bunch of six foot eight ish dudes with lots of athleticism and length. And it, the, the, like I can see the vision, and you saw it in this game itself. They're going to be a problem for whoever they get in the playoffs because they're switching everything on the perimeter, and no matter what, they have a ton of length and athleticism on you. And those two things in specific are usually what gives Tyler Hero a ton of problem because he doesn't quite have the longest wingspan. He's not usually considered like the most athletic, so that's why the idea is pretty much just stick a long athletic person on him because they can keep up with him and then they'll have the link to challenge any of his shots. But for this game, Hero's response was to go, okay, well, if you're just going to play up on me, not let me get my jumper, I'm going to go to the rim. And he did with surprising efficiency. I mean, the, the dunk is kind of emblematic of his approach to this game, which was, I'm going to drive inside, I'm going to get fouls. He made some really great layups with, like, super high off the glass Like, the kind of stuff I used to see uh, Steph Curry doing during, like, the MVP years where he would get in and it's like, all right, cool, just block this dude. And it's like, oh, no, he can shoot it that high off the glass? (laughs) Not much you can do. But to go back to it, uh, Tyler Hero, like, phenomenal game and uh, a statement game from, like, an eye-watching perspective because, like, you look at the stats and it it doesn't seem anything too crazy compared to what we've seen before. But when you look... Like, you analyze the specific situation, the kind of defenders that the Raptors have, and what Hero was doing to counter what the Raptors were trying to do defending him, that's where it looks like Hero has taken a step forward as, like, a three-level scorer. Lastly, to finish this up, Jimmy Butler, great bounce-back game for him himself. Uh, Had the triple-double with a rebound on, like, the last possession or so. 19 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists, so he was doing great playmaking while Lowry was out. Not his most efficient, but still good. 6 of 14 from the field, 0 of 1 from 3, 7 of 8 from the line. So, you know, between, like, Hero, Butler, and Bam, that's a lot of free-throw shooting and a lot of fouling that they're drawing on the Raptors there. And lastly, just to finish this game up, and this was the interesting thing because we, we were, again, I was always concerned about how this team would look shooting-wise once Bam got back as well. It was another drop in shooting, unfortunately. This time, the Heat only got 24 attempts up. They shot a decent 9 of 24, which is still a, a decent shooting percentage at 37.5%. But, yeah, uh, I believe it was um, Wes Goldberg from Locked on Heat that pointed out um, OG Anunnabai had 8 attempts for the Raptors. Fred Van Vliet had 16 attempts from 3 for the Raptors. So those two players combined matched Miami's attempts as a team, which part of that is having Bam Butler back. Part of that, I also think, is the Raptors' defense. Because they have so much length, so much switchability, and so much athleticism, they do a good job of chasing opponents off the line. So, little A, little B. Unfortunately, we'll need like a larger sample size to see quite where Miami's three-point volume stabilizes, but um, for now, like you just kind of like cock an eye, like, okay... That's really low. That like we had games that we would double those attempts during December. Not that we needed to be that e- extreme, but we did want something a little bit closer to that. For now, though, Heat are near fully healthy and they had a two-one week, so not too much to complain about. So moving on from there, this week we saw the return of Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. 
which returns a lot of the major injuries that the Heat have been dealing with again since the beginning of December. So right now, if we take a look at like the Heat uh, in terms of like their depth and things like that, there there is becoming a good argument that this actually might be one of the deepest teams in the league. So the Heat currently have fourteen players that have played at least ten games for them this season. Everybody that has played less than ten games are players like that were on the ten day contracts. Um, you know, end of December, beginning of January, because of the COVID situation. Or uh, Udonis Haslam, which, as much as I love UD, Mr. 305, he shouldn't really, at this stage in his career, be part of a, of a regular season rotation, let alone a playoff rotation. So, of those 14 players, uh, you can still whittle that down a little bit as well. For example, Marcus Garrett was waived by the Heat because, unfortunately, he suffered a wrist injury. He, like, would love to see the Heat give him another chance in the future because, seriously, that dude's defense was already NBA level, like, right out the gate. And then it's just a question of what they can get out of them offensively. But in the Heat's current situation, they, like, they're going for the title this year. They have a title-contending team. So they needed to drop Garrett to then sign Kyle Guy, who's one of the 10-day contracts, so that if another worst-case scenario happens later down the line, they can pull up Kyle Guy instead of Marcus Garrett, who probably wasn't going to be there for the season. Point, though, is is that you can cross Garrett off that list, and then I think you can also drop uh, Casey Akpala off that list as well. Akpala is also kind of a breaking case of extreme emergency type player. You know, we only saw him get minutes in December when the roster was devastated by injury, and as soon as we started to get some other bodies back that could do some of the stuff that Akpala does, like, he got no minutes. Um, he did also have an injury, but between the injury and just kind of what we know about him already, I've crossed him up. But that still leaves 12 players left that have played at least 10 games and can make a good case that they deserve regular season rotation minutes. And that's still not including Victor Oladipo, who's yet to play a game this season and could then push it to back to 13 uh, potential rotation players. It's a good problem to have, but uh, it's still a problem nonetheless. But if we take a look at the you know like the depth chart right now for, for players I think should be considered of rotation minutes and again like the the heat play a positionless style so the designations that i give are vague ish um i'll kind of just go through them as i go but uh for point guards for miami there's there's primarily players that can be you know the the guy that brings the ball up the court get the get the offense in their sets things like that kyle lowry obviously gave vincent and maybe victor oladipo for for this one for the shooting guards, I, I use this primarily as the, the players that are more so three-point specialists for the Heat, the ones that are responsible for getting volume and makes up, Duncan Robinson and Max Struess. For the small forward position, uh, which I just define as like players that do a little bit of everything, they can give you some scoring, some playmaking, athleticism, yada yada, uh, Jimmy Butler, Tyler Hero, Caleb Martin. The power forward position, which these are the ones that can be small ball fives, or can play the four alongside Bam, P.J. Tucker, and uh, Markeith Morris, who Morris is currently listed. He was out Monday due to conditioning, which is fair given that he was injured for like two months uh, and then had COVID. But looks like he could be making his return potentially this week. I didn't see anything official yet. And then lastly, the center position, our bigs. That one's probably the easiest to define. Bam Adebayo, Dwayne Dedman, Omir Yurt7. So... All down the roster, like, they have backups for every single position, 
And in some of them, they have up to, you know, a third that they could throw out there as well. Like, they came with point guard, with small forward, or with center. But now comes the balancing act, considering we have all these players back now. So for me, like, the way that I was thinking about it is, like, for one, very very deep team. Like, I, you're going to be hard-pressed to find a team that can go legitimately too deep on all their roster spots. And then if you throw in another three on top of that, that's just incredibly deep. I mean, usually situations like this where, where a team looks and says, oh, well, we have 13 players that could be vying for, for rotation minutes. Usually that's a bad thing because the people that are on the top end aren't that good. And therefore, that's why you look at the players that are deeper in your bench and think, well, maybe I should give them minutes and set. This is more so the opposite. Like, Miami has a really good starting five, and then they have a really good bench, and then really good depth into the bench that kind of makes you sit there and go, okay, well, how do I how do I maximize what is essentially a bunch of really good players, but I only have so many minutes in a game? Um, the good part for Miami is the one making those decisions is Spolstra, who usually has a really good feel for this kind of stuff. So for me, the question now becomes is how does Miami use that depth both to get through the rest of the regular season and obviously once they get to the playoffs as well. So the regular season, regular season is a little bit easier. All it really means is that nobody should be playing heavy minutes at all, which the Heat have done. So Kyle Lowry and Jimmy Butler are the one that lead the team in minutes per game, and they're only averaging 34 minutes a game, which is not that much at all. So when I went into this, I was I was hoping that I would not see anybody at 36 minutes or above. That might have been a little too much for the regular season, uh, and thankfully they weren't. After um, Hilary and Butler, next are Hero and Bam at about 33 minutes per game. So those four are the ones that are averaging 30 and above minutes, which makes sense. Those are Miami's four best players. Uh, but it's also good to see that they're they're not doing anywhere around like 36, 38 minutes per game. But even at 34 and 33, you could probably tone that down a little bit, maybe get them to 32 or so, and just you know make sure that they have that rest of the playoffs. You know those four are going to be in your playoff rotation. So you want to make sure that they are well-rested enough so that once the playoff starts, they're good. Uh, the other nice parts about this is essentially the Heat can afford – to rest players on like back-to-backs or if there's any sort of injury concern where you know a player could be rushed back in a week but have an increased chance of injury or they could sit out two weeks and come back like near 100%. Like the Heat can then look at that and go, you know what, we got the depth to last another week without you know X player. Let them sit, make sure they're healthy for the playoffs. We have both the depth and the wins to to stop to weather that storm, which they already have already, just to say how the position that they're in right now going forward for the rest of the regular season. There is an argument out there that because of the depth, maybe you would like 13 deep is way too deep for a playoff rotation. So maybe you think, okay, can we consolidate some of that depth, like you know, get three or four three or four of those near the end players and bundle them together and get something that's like a better one through five type play, like that that kind of thing. But really, like looking around right now, there's not a lot of options that would improve Miami's team. Uh, part of that is because of the contracts the Heat have available, and then part of that is just the type of assets that they could offer in a trade. So pretty much any sort of trade that would bring back anybody of significance 
would require the Heat to trade either Duncan Robinson and or P.J. Tucker, which they're not going to trade Tucker. Uh, that dude has been a amazing fit for Miami, and I don't like, and he's outperforming his contract. So I don't think you're going to be able to return somebody of value. Plus, Tucker's an older player, might not want to go to like a more of a rebuilding team, and might just peace out at the end of the year. So why would you do that if you're a rebuilding team? The other one, Duncan Robinson, he's he's in the first year of his contract, and sure, he's had a bit of a of a down year compared to his first two years. But he's still improving every single month. Like that, that percentage is getting higher every month, even with like an O of eight stinker like he had against the Sixers. But he's trending in the right direction. It's the first of a five-year deal, so you would have to have somebody that has to sit there and go, "Okay, do I want a role player like Duncan Robinson for the next four years after this?" While I'm, you know, theoretically some sort of rebuilding team, and that's why I gave up this great player to get Duncan Robinson instead. It just that doesn't seem to click. Uh, because of that, I don't really see the Heat being too active in terms of trades and trying to consolidate that depth into like a better player. Um, but you know, the trade deadline is a few weeks away. It's the tenth of February. It's a little over three weeks, and I think like right now, uh, though the Heat, there might be a potential that they they could try to do something just because they can still do Max Struess to kind of fill in that Duncan Robinson role. However. Why not just keep both? Like, if both are shooting extremely well and you can pretty much have one of those two out on the floor at all times, like, that's really valuable for the playoffs. So I don't see anything, but we'll have to see how the next few weeks uh, play out. You you never know with the NBA, unfortunately, but um, I think the Heat right now will keep all this depth and worry about the other problems afterwards. The playoffs, though, is where things can really get tricky because playoff rotations, I mean, you can see playoff rotations get cut down to like seven players sometimes, which would leave six sitting on the bench. Um, Even if you go like eight, like nine deep is pretty rare. Ten deep is usually the coach, like the, the team is getting whooped and the coach is trying to just find stuff that he can plug out there and, and see if there's anything that works. Where this could be an advantage for Miami, though, is the different kinds of looks that they can throw out. And this has become, so increasingly over the years, we see that the playoffs are being played almost like a different style of basketball versus the regular season, where the regular season is a lot more about finding what you're good at, you know, being able to match up maybe a little bit against certain teams but for the most part like it's a marathon like it's kind of you versus the the people that you're racing with to get that seating and you're not too worried about you know this the ins and outs specifically of what an opposite conference team wants to do in a get uh, in a given day on the second night of a back-to-back or whatever but the playoffs very different because you have one team in front of you and you have, you know, four to seven games to just figure out how to exploit that one team's weakness. And where depth is useful and where we've seen it be useful the last few years is in the ability to give teams different looks by plugging in different players. So, for example, last year there was a really interesting series with the Mavs versus the Clippers where the Mavs, um, one of the games they started out like a two-big lineup and they whooped the Clippers in that game. And then I thought like the next game, the Clippers also tried to throw a two two man lineup out there uh, to try to counter the two big lineup that the Mavs put out. 
and it uh, did not work. So the Clippers tried something else with um, like more of a small ball lineup, and then that's what worked. And so they they started to ride that uh, until they eventually won that series. But that's just trying to illustrate the idea that like really good coaches like Tyron Lue, uh, Steve Kerr, Eric Spolstra, these you know these coaches that know their teams really well and know the kinds of things that they can do and are also smart enough to analyze the other team and figure out what they're trying to do and then how to exploit them, depth like this can be essentially, it's kind of like having a chess board and just having more pieces on your side of the board than the opponent. Like, if if you know how to use those that, that piece advantage, then you're going to encircle your opponent and you're going to knock them out. So, like, for the Heat, for example, they could, say, put Markeith Morris or P.J. Tucker at the five and can do five-out lineups that way where they can put five shooters out on the floor. Um, they could still do, or they could do a more traditional-style small ball, put Bam at the five, Butler at the four, Martin at the three, put two shooters around them, and then at that point, like, you have a really nasty small ball lineup that can also get out and run and defend. Or maybe you want to go more big, like you're going against a Philadelphia 76ers, and so that's where you give some more minutes to Omir Yurt seven, or maybe you try like a two big lineup with like Bam and Yurt or Bam and Deadman, um, or you can just do a ton of threes with like really heavy bench lineups where you maybe you throw out like a Bam out of bio, and then you surround it with like uh, Vincent Struess, Martin, uh, and Robinson. I don't know. So the idea though is Miami can do all kinds of different styles. Uh, and give different looks. They can do more three-point heavy lineups because they know those work. They found that out in December. They can do more big lineups, small lineups, uh, faster lineups, more slow it down lineups. If they want to, like, they can do slow it down lineups with Bam and Jimmy. Whatever, whatever Eric Spolstra can can think up, and he's got a ton of pieces to work with. Which that kind of goes to why another another point against trying to do something like trading to consolidate depth and just using the rest of the season to build chemistry, figure out the lineups that work. Spolstra tends to do that in like January, February anyway. He tinkers around, figures out what works. This year he's got his work cut out for him just because of, like again, I think you can go 13 deep on this roster for regular season minutes. Um, But it'll be on him to figure out what works and then you know keep all that hidden in a safe somewhere for the playoffs. I think he's going to use the regular season and maybe depending upon who they're going up against, he'll try like a 9 to 10 deep rotation. Again, like if it's a 76ers, like we have them two more times this year, for example. So maybe in those games, Dwayne Dedman isn't the backup big and Omir Yurtseven is instead just because he has that size to try to compete uh, better with the Sixers. Same thing if they go up against like the Cavs, for example. Whereas against that Raptors team, they have all that like most of their players aren't super big. They're more so just really long and athletic, and so they can kind of mimic that size. In that situation, Yurt Seven isn't as useful because he doesn't have the foot speed. So that's why you play Deadman as the backup instead. Overall, I actually think it's kind of like exciting as a fan. Like I don't think I've ever seen. A team like I've you we've seen top heavy teams. That was pretty much what the big three era was like by almost by definition. Big three more or less implies like the rest of the roster doesn't really have anybody to that level. But uh, point though was those were real top heavy teams. So those players were always out there, and it was just a matter of like trying to find stuff to to help support them. This is more like while the top end isn't that good. 
that like middle to like deep into the bench, that stuff is like all gold relative to the rest of the league. And so it's a new new scenario for me, and I'm interested to see how this second half of the season is going to develop. Um, at the moment, though, it's looking really great for Miami. So to go through the standings real quick, currently the Heat are have a 28 and 16 record. It technically has them in second place. First place is the Bulls, and the Heat are in a literal tie with the Bulls. And usually the Heat would still have it because they have a 2-0 season series lead against the Bulls. However, the Bulls have played two less games in Miami. So what that means is technically, even though they're they're tied in terms of like games back, because the Bulls have played less games, they have a slightly higher win percentage than Miami. And that's actually the first tiebreaker. You don't usually think about it because by the end of the season, everybody's played 80, the same number of games. So if you're tied, your winning percentage is going to be the same. But in the middle of the season, there are situations where you can be tied, but winning percentage is different in that moment. Point, though, is the Bulls skate by having just by, like, I think it's like 0.6 percentage, something like that, that they are ahead of Miami for the first seed. But the Heat are right there. And right behind them in the 3 through 6, so 3 through 6 itself has actually become pretty tight, which, again, 3 through 6 is the pretty much just the rest of the guaranteed playoff spots. Uh, this is everything from half a game back to two and a half games back of where the Bulls' heat are, so not a lot of room. That is the Nets, Cavs, Bucks, and Sixers. So looking at that list, uh, the Nets are in trouble at the moment. Kevin Durant uh, had an injury. He'll be out, I think, about four to six weeks. Wishing him the best. Never wish ill on a player, but the reality is for Miami means that the Nets are in danger of dropping down to the bottom of this pack, or in a worst-case scenario, they could get separated from this group as well. Let's see. The Cavs Cavs are the, the big threat just because they already have that season series lead over the Heat, 2-0 in a best-of-three series, and I don't see like any real indications uh, yet of like how they would uh, let up on the gas. So the Cavs might be a team to watch throughout the rest of the season. Still feels weird to say that, considering that they don't have LeBron James. But uh, the Bucks, I mean, the Bucks are a good team. They're a really good team. They're going to stay in there. The Sixers have done a good job of entering that conversation, and there's still the potential that they pull off something for Ben Simmons. But even if they don't, I mean, they've shown that they belong in this in this conversation. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. And the Bulls, who are still tied with us, uh, they have some injuries at the moment. Specifically, I know there's one to Zach Levine, but I don't, I didn't see anything like long term about it. But uh, the Nets, yeah, in that group, the Nets are the only ones that could potentially drop just because of the the big injury to Durant. So Heat still have their work cut out for them to make sure that they keep a top seed in the East. Um, after the three through six, it, pretty far back at that point, the seven through eleven. So everything from the play in to one game out of it. These are four to six games back of where the Heat are right now. There's the Hornets, Wizards, Raptors, Celtics, Knicks. So, yeah, it would be it would take like a week or two uh, of re of like really bad for the Heat, really good for one of those teams to to change that conversation. But just to kind of give an idea of where the the next tier right below where the Heat are right now is. Finishing up though, uh, lo- and looking ahead at this point, so what's up for the next week for Miami? They're going to finish up a four game homestand. And then they're going to go on the road for one game 
and then they get to come back and have another four-game homestand. So, like, yeah, already the second half of the schedule, super nice. A lot of stuff at home. But first up, they're going to be hosting the Trailblazers on Wednesday. This is a Trailblazers team that's 18-25 and 25 and just hanging on to the 10th seed for the play-in tournament in the West. Um, it doesn't really matter because they're an opposite conference team, but the Heat are 1-0 season series. It's a best of two, though, so meh. Uh, the Blazers themselves are in the middle of a road trip, so they played at the Magic yesterday, and then they'll be at the Heat tomorrow. Uh, for that game tomorrow, Damian Lillard, unfortunately, is definitely out, still recovering from abdominal surgery, and they could potentially be missing uh, Larry Nance Jr., Cody Zeller, which those guys are mainly bench bench for them, so not too important. But they could be without Norman Powell, who's like a really athletic wing for them. So, like, really, between Damian Lillard and Powell being out, like, those are two of their top three minutes per game players. Uh, this is a depleted Blazers team. Defensively, like, all the Heat really have to worry about C.J. McCollum and Anthony Simons, and they've got players that they can throw on them to just make life hell for them. Offensively, <laughs> take advantage of their bad guards. Like, Simons is a rookie, uh, and then McCollum is notoriously, like, an, an okay defender at best. So, yeah, take advantage of the guards and just a really bad overall defense that the Blazers have. I see this as an easy win for the Heat. After that, the Heat go on their one road game of the week. And, oh, that's a surprise. I think we've seen them recently. The Atlanta Hawks. So, three episodes in a row, three Hawks meetings. This one will be at Atlanta um, on Friday night. This is still an Atlanta team that's a terrible 18 of 25. Good for the 12th in the East. So, they're not even within, they're not even like that close to the Knicks who are at the 11th right now. They're like three games back of them. So this Hawks team is, I wouldn't be surprised to see them call it a year, like around the trade deadline or so. But the Heat already up 2-0 out of a season series of four against them. Though, again, given the positions, we're at the top. They aren't even in the play-in. Season series probably isn't going to matter. But uh, it's still divisional, and that could matter later on at least. So the Hawks will be hosting the Timberwolves on Wednesday, and then they're off until Friday. Uh, as of today, Boyan Bogdanovich and Clint Compella are still listed as out for the Hawks. So that's a little bit of scoring and some rim protection and defense. So yeah, uh, for Miami, for the defensive end, we already know the game plan at this point. Pretty much slow down Trey Young. We got Caleb Martin, Gabe Vincent, like give them some minutes and just have them slow down Trey Young all game. And then offensively, flip it on Young. You involve him in the action, attack the rim. The dude is a not good defender. Like he, he is a really great offensive player, but he has to be to be as valuable as he is to offset the problems on the defensive end. And if you're Miami and you want to be a playoff team, you gotta be able to exploit a weakness like that. And this is another just another game where they can just do that and rack up another win against them. I, even though this is on the road. I do still see this as a solid win for the Heat. Like I don't, I wouldn't be surprised if it's close, like we saw in the game last Friday. But I also, you know, wouldn't be surprised if we blew them out like we did the previous Wednesday. So yeah. Lastly, on our list for the next week, we again this is the start of another four-game homestand, and it starts with hosting the Los Angeles Lakers on Sunday. This is a Lakers team that's twenty-two and twenty-two, so they're dead five hundred, which. Here's here's something funny. 
So the Lakers are at 500 are the seventh seed in the West, whereas the Knicks at 500 are the 11th seed out of the playing game in the East. So it's a weird year because usually we're used to Western dominance versus East. Um, and there are some areas where the West is still very clearly dominating, like at the very top. But still, uh, in the middle, it's all East. Back to topic, though. So the Lakers, uh, again, this is a Western team, so the season series doesn't matter too much. Though they are up 0-1 on us, uh, primarily because we had that overtime game in Los Angeles right after we had the injury to Markeith Morris against the Nuggets. And just, it, they somehow got to overtime. Westbrook shot out of his mind. And notorious heat killer Malik Monk reared his ugly head to once again smack the heat for... I, I li- literally don't know what we did to the dude to deserve that much ire. I just hope it's on the scouting report at least by now. Like, yo, this Malik Monk dude always cooks us. So please defend him. Um... But for the Lakers, they will be in the er- they will be in the early part of a road trip, uh, where they'll be at the Magic on Friday and then at the Heat on Sunday. And currently, they have listed out Anthony Davis, Carmelo Anthony, and Kendrick Nunn. Obviously, the big name on that list is Anthony Davis. He's supposed to be evaluated sometime this week, so there is a possibility he could show up uh, on that game Sunday. However, if I'm the Lakers, I'm probably sitting him on this road trip. So I don't think it's likely, which pretty much just means that uh, for the defense for Miami, it's cover LeBron James, which very few teams in the league know LeBron James as well as the Miami Heat do because he played for us. So I, I'm i certain that Spolster will have a good game plan for him. And yeah, other than that, it's pretty much also, you know, keep, please, please guard Malik Monk. I do, I do not want to see random scrub, heat killer, all NBA level, Malik Monk go off on the heat again. Uh, force Westbrook to take the shots. That is, that continues to be the game plan against the Lakers. Make Westbrook beat you. Not Malik Monk. Malik Monk has shown he can beat you. Westbrook, meh. So, force Westbrook to be the one that's making plays. And then, on the offensive end for Miami, well, Westbrook likes to gamble. So, just try to bait him into some gambles. And then take advantage of his blown defensive assignment to try to get some baskets. LeBron, while he's playing a more active role out of necessity on defense, he still is prone to just, you know, giving up on plays entirely if he sees there's not a chance. And then, yeah, also attack Malik Monk. Like, really, flip the script on this dude. Like, he's not a great defender. So he's being put out there on necessity because he's a good three-point shooter and a weapon that LeBron can use. So one, don't let him be a weapon, and then two, turn him into a liability instead. The Heat do those. This should be a solid win for Miami. Seriously, like this is a team that I saw a report today essentially saying that their head coach, Frank Vogel, is on a game-to-game basis whether or not he's going to be kept. Frank Vogel, who is trying to make mountains out of molehills with this defensive group that the GM put together, but nah, they're going to they're blame Frank Vogel instead. I mean, that tells you a lot about this organization just kind of right there. And then also how, like, LeBron at at times just looks like he's looking at the team like, "Eh, I should should trade you, I should trade you. So let's let's help them along with that. Let's help them fire their head coach. Let's help them trade away their roster. And let's help them dig themselves into a deeper hole starting on Sunday. But that will be all for this week's episode. Please be sure to follow the podcast at Heaters Heating or myself at KBR Heat Nation. I'm trying to be more 
more active on uh, my Twitter for KBR Heat Nation. And also check out the other great pods we have at OTG Basketball uh, on Twitter or OTGBasketball.com. I will be back next week. So until then, stay heating and have a good one, Heat Nation.